every year on New Year's Day, we used to go out to Jay Springsteen's house, and everybody rode on the lake on New Year's Day at Springer's house. That was like a big party. So Scotty, Jay, Kevin, and show up with his XR. I mean, it was just a fun experience. Episode 127, Tank Slapping Podcast. Got another guest pod today. Stoked on this one, man. I watched this guy grow up when I was younger, before I started racing. And then when I turned, you know, amateur and racing and turned pro, this was one of the fastest guys in the country. Hell of a rider. Uh, always had the coolest looking bikes in the pit. So much style on the motorcycle. We're talking about Nick Cummings on the line. I want to give a shout out to Mission Foods for making this show happen. Really excited to have them on board with our podcast, check their products out, support them. They support so many people in the industry. And also want to give a shout out to Indian Motorcycle. Since 1901, the Indian Motorcycle has been the choice of riders who make their own rules. They're crushing it in Moto America. They're doing really well in everything they do and support. The brand's really, really cool. Go test ride a bike, support Indian Motorcycle. Nick Cummings, dude. What's up, man? How are you? Good. How you been, Corey? Man, I can't complain. Just uh, just getting through the start of the season here, and a lot of people have requested Nick Cummings on the pod, man. And uh, you're, uh, you know, I've known you forever, dude. You're a friend of mine. So, and we haven't chatted much, man. So it's cool to get you on. And what's been uh, what what's been keeping you busy? Oh man, life. You know, having two kids and just trying to figure out what to do after racing. You know, what's gonna keep the keep the spark or keep me alive and wanting to do something. Yeah, congrats on the kids, man. That's uh, as a dad myself, that's a it's a full time freaking job. So, uh, that's really cool. How old are your kids? I, I I know you had one, but I didn't know you had two. How old are they? I got two girls. They're thirteen and fourteen. Oh wow, <laughs> teenage stage, dude. That's a yeah. That's, it's, that's uh, a big job. It's a big job, but um, it's fun. You know, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's cool. Um. So I got a lot to talk about. Um, a lot of really cool. I, like I, I hit up some some people that knew you. I hit up some of your former competitors, and I got some pretty cool insight and questions for you. So I wanted to just get right into it, man. So yeah, shoot, Corey. Amateur racing, man. You're an amateur racing star. I would say, like growing up. Uh, before I started racing, like, um, well, let's start with this. Like, I grew up in a Harley shop, and and your dad. Tom, he was, you know, he had a Harley dealership. And what do you remember what years you guys had your dealership from? Because that's how I first kind of knew and heard of you. And um, I knew Tom a little bit before I started racing. But do you do you remember like growing up in the Harley shop and, and what that was like? Every day in the Harley shop. Yes, I remember that clearly. Um, my grandpa started the dealership in 1949 and we sold it in 2007. Okay. Yeah. That's so a, like 51 or 52 years. Yeah. That's a hell of a run. Yeah. That's uh man. I mean, that's, I grew up a Harley kid and I've had some other, like I've had Peyton Sassman on and I've talked to some other people that, that uh were also kind of Harley kids. And, and that's how I knew you guys a little bit. Um, Obviously you were, you were already doing your thing on the track before I started racing, but yeah, grew up a Harley kid. And I guess that's probably, I mean, it's probably how you got started, right? Your your dad's background in the Harley shop, right? Yeah, dad and them guys got me going when I was, um, I think I rode my first bike when I was three out on the lake. 
But, um, yeah, I mean, Dad never really pushed me. It was kind of just if I wanted to do it, I could do it, you know. He never really, he supported me, but yet he didn't make me feel like I had to ride. And that was always, I guess, a good thing. But coming from the Flint area, you know, with Jay and Scotty and, you know, Kevin and Will riding for my dad, it was kind of inevitable that I was going to lean that way because that's where my passion was. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, so you first started ice riding, right? Over over dirt, is that where you started? No, ice right on the lakes. We, um, in Michigan here, it's so cold that the lakes freeze in the winter. So, um, my first experience ever was on, I'm pretty sure it was Brandon Rose's PW50 out at the lake with his dad when he was practicing. Ah, that's badass. Yeah. Uh, growing up, you always had like, man, really trick motorcycles and like the TC, the TCR bikes are just, they're beautiful. They've always been beautiful motorcycles, really cool colors. And, um, I talked to, uh, Jared Meese and, he said you had a you had a really cool 250. Um, I think it was like a CJ <laughs> 250 he was describing. And he's like, man, that thing was really cool. And um, I know back then, like the 250s, everybody had such badass trick 250 framers. And and yours was awesome. And then um, I forget who you sold it to. But yeah, do you remember Matt that Weeden. bike? He's talking, yeah, he's talking about. Oh, yeah, I remember that bike. That was probably my favorite bike out of every bike we ever owned. Um, Dad built that for me when I was 12. I rode it up until I turned pro when I was 15 when we sold it to Matt Weedman. But believe it or not, that motorcycle has had never hit the ground when we sold it. Out of all the bikes I owned, that's the bike I never, never <laughs> crashed. <laughs> was that more of like it was too pretty to crash it or just kind of coincidence? I mean, I've... It, it was coincidence <laughs> because it honestly, a couple of times I could have crashed it. But... um. It was just easy to ride, you know, it was, it worked really well, and I was really acclimated to it. My framer, unlike most framers, we built an, a custom-built uh, aluminum airbox, so it was actually like making, had the same response as a real motocross bike, but out of a framer. Okay. Yeah, I mean, man, I, I've never actually rode a 250 framer two-stroke, like, I kind of missed that error, and I mean, look, no, watching you missed the because that era was boy, that was fun to ride. You yeah, just bake them things off in the corner and hold them on as long as you possibly could, and it was gonna work when it turned. Yeah, I think uh, if there was one bike I'd like to ride, it'd probably be a a two hundred fifty framer two stroke. I'm on pretty a sure. <laughs> yeah, I would like if I was gonna ride another two hundred fifty framer, I'd like to ride Jared Meese's RM Suzuki he had with a compression release. <laughs> yeah. Um, on all these slippery short tracks going up because Lawrenceburg short track was really tough for me because uh, my bike worked good, but he had the compression release. So because they didn't have any back down motor power, he could just use that to his advantage. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, it's kind of a transition between like the older two strokes with the compression release and then up until kind of the more modern two strokes that, uh, that they were running at the time. But uh, I mean, besides Mies, man, you had like that era of amateur racing was stacked with talent. And um, yeah, I know you obviously had uh, big battles with Jared. You had big battles with fellow Michigan rider Logan Myers and anybody else stand out like 80s, 250s, maybe people we haven't heard of who uh, Blake were like. Young. Blake Young was big on an 80. He was um, really, really fast when we were on 80s. 
Um, he went out, turned out to be a road racer. And then um, Tony Marion was good. Um, Casey Canoto was pretty good. Jake Johnson, believe it or not, was still in the competition. And the Haydens were just a little bit older than me, but that was, you know, that was the era. There was just a lot of fast guys. Brian Smith. Um, you know, you can just throw a whole bunch of guys in there. The Halberts yeah. were there by the end of it. It's just, there was a lot of people that maybe didn't go so good on a little bike, but were super fast on a big bike and vice yeah. versa. Yeah, and I kind of remember too, like, remember, because I didn't race, but like my dad was involved in racing, but I remember looking at like the AMA magazines and I remember seeing like pictures of all you guys racing. And for some reason, I always remember it was, uh, it was Carter Myers. He had, he had a number one plate on at the amateur nationals. He had like the fin on his helmet. It was like that era of racing. And uh, I always thought he had really cool looking like helmets and gear and another, you know, more Michigan people, dude. It's just like stacked with really fast Michigan riders. So that was, that was what made growing up in Michigan so nice. You know, me and Logan raced together every single weekend. So I had one of my main competitions. I raced every single weekend. Only time we ever really seen Jared was at the Nationals or down in Florida, which we knew he was always going to be a threat. But it was nice that me and Logan got to race each other hand in hand, side by side, growing up our whole lives. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely helps. Like iron sharpens iron. Like you're definitely the better people you race consistently. Then you go like even amateur nationals now, like all the top kids last year, most of them minus like one or two they were all Pennsylvania riders that ride together every weekend. It's like basically just taking the battle to a different state. You know, it's, it definitely helps having good competition. I think that's why, like, I don't think there's anything too special about PA riders or Michigan or Washington riders, but it's just a level of competition. Like you take those riders, you put them in any other state. Um, they're going to do equally as well. It's just, uh, man, every weekend you want to beat each other so bad. You just raise that competition level and uh, and then you start doing it on the national level. So oh, yeah. for sure. And then another thing that really helped growing up is you get you get like a bond. It, you know how it is, Corey. Racing is like a family. Well, yep. when you race the same people here as you do it on the at the amateur nationals, when you get down there, you're not as nervous because you race the fast guys every weekend. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you you know you know who you got to beat. How was your relationship with those guys like Logan Myers? Because you guys, obviously, I mean, you, I, I know your co-Horizon Award winners. You you really, like, went at it. I mean, I, that could be really easy for there to be, like, some heated battles or rivalry or whatever. But how was that relationship? You know, surprisingly, that relationship was good. Um, Logan's dad worked a lot, so they never got to go to Florida. Well, eh, back on 80s, dad decided... Well, if we're going to have race the competition, the competition has to get better with us. So we started hauling him to Daytona with us every year um, until he turned pro. And his dad drove down and was there for the races, but then went home. But he rode with us every year because um, we believe that if you're going to be fast, you got to race the fast guys. So you can't get an advantage or a disadvantage because you get to go somewhere because of who you are or you know the situation you're put in oh that's a good with dad having that's the, a good mindset, and with dad having the race team logan's dad didn't you know it was approved we were 
we took the same weekends off racing if we wanted to take a break. We we pretty much try to set our race schedules together throughout the summer. Yeah, and that's a great mindset to have. A lot of these people, they'll, they'll avoid competition. They'll go somewhere that the fast guys aren't going to or whatever, and they'll quote-unquote win the race. And it's like, well, dude, you won the race, but you didn't, you know, you didn't beat your main guy. Or you didn't beat the guy who you have to be, you know, it's, uh, that's a, a really good mindset to have. Um, and we, you talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to bring it up. Um, the TCR racing team, like you had, you talked about Kevin Atherton, Will Davis, Nikki Cummings. Uh, I remember Dan Butler, you had so many, so many top fast guys with a lot of style, a lot of flair. Um, what was that like? I mean, obviously we could talk for hours about Will Davis and Kevin Atherton and Nikki, uh, Nikki Hayden. I mean, um, we could talk each one individually for a long time, but growing up, having those guys as mentors, um, was there one that you was your favorite? Did you talk to one more than, you know, the others? Uh, what was that like, you know, having, having that? It was kind of a unique situation. We never really talked about racing. Um, I mean, we did a little bit here and there. But for the most part, it, they were just friends. You know, they just enjoyed doing the same thing I did. And, um, you know, they were there to help me if I needed help. But for the most part, it was just being able to watch them and see what they do and how they react and respond to the pressures or the challenges at the track with that and the things that they overcame and little setup, you know, things that they would try that would work. It stuck in my head to where when I, I turned pro and I was struggling, I had avenues to try. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two of the guys on there right now are, I mean, that I talked about, uh, Will Davis and Nikki Hayden, they're two of my favorite riders growing up. So the fact that you got to spend so much time around them both, um, like I obviously, I, I obviously watched Will a lot. He was, you know, I was a kid, so I was not like we talked much. Um, of course, I'd go over and get his autograph, but um, you know, unfortunately, when we lost Will, I was like, I was still really young. I was a teen, you know, young teenager, I think it was. And then Nikki, um, obviously, every flat tracker growing up, that was you know, everyone loved Nikki Hayden. Like that was everyone's dream to go to MotoGP at the time. And and for uh, for Nikki Hayden, I got to talk with him a little bit more, like you know, as he, uh, you know, progressed, we would keep in touch and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I just, I'm jealous, man. You got to hang out with some, I mean, I, I did too, but <laughs> you got the, you know, those guys, I didn't know, you know, get to spend a lot of time with them. So that was, uh, that was really cool to, to see and hear about. Um, I heard a rumor that, uh, from a, a competitor that you always had your air conditioner set to 69 in your RV on race day. <laughs> Cause that was, we have our, that actually, that actually that air conditioner never turned off 69. I don't think ever since we built it until I went road <laughs> racing and we were in and out of the truck so much. You couldn't keep it warm or cool enough, but yeah, <laughs> that, that was the thing when I grew up, them guys, Nikki always kept it at 69 and then we just continued it when I got there. That's so funny. So yeah, yeah, it's just been, you know, it, it's kind of a unique feature. It just always seemed to work out. It was the first thing you see when you walked in the door right there where the controls were. It was, it was kind of like a staple of the truck. Yeah, uh, Jesse Janish, I'm I'm buds with. He he told me that one. He's like, yeah. He's like, I I do remember their their AC was always set to 69 no matter what. I was like, that's freaking awesome. So, um. 
Yeah. So you went, you obviously had a great amateur career. You won the horizon award with Logan Myers. Um, and then, um, you went pro and what was that transition like for you? I mean, as much as you can, I mean, it's been years now, but like, what was that like? It obviously the level, it's no secret. The the level escalates quite a bit, but yeah. When you, do you remember what you struggled with the most or what surprised you possibly as you made that transition? Um, my drive to my drive to still want to win um it never really changed if anything it got worse um just the fact of hey i'm here now now it i have to do what i've been trying to do my whole life you know it kind of puts a little added pressure on you you know how far you did when you get there you want to get there and when you're not winning it is very hard to be not be down on yourself and and to be able to take a seventh or an eighth or a tenth place finish for the weekend and be okay with it because you did your best, you know, and that was the hardest part was to keep keep the momentum going. Um thankfully for me, I went road racing at fourteen as well. So as soon as I turned pro, Formula USA was around still. So I got to run that championship where I did five road races and five dirt tracks in 03, which um, would have been my rookie year or my pro sport year when I also won that championship. Yeah, I forgot that you got to, uh, you were right at the tail end of the Formula USA series, which was uh, really cool, man. They, I mean, that was a cool series with a lot of good payouts and really cool racetracks. And um, yeah, I forgot about that. I, I do know you road raced a little bit. Um, Jesse Janice said that you were actually a really good road racer and, you know, you got to do, got to do some road racing. And then later in your road racing career, you, um, you teamed up and did some of those endurance races with Springer and Nixon. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what was, uh, what was your road racing career like? Did you do any pro races? Cause I don't, I don't know your background too much on the pavement. Um, we didn't do a lot of AMA races, um, we just stuck with the formula saying weird stuff because I was also dirt tracking. So picking weekends and trying to make a schedule for the summer where you could compete in both of them was really hard, you know, where you could be competitive for the championship at both of them was a really, really hard spot for us. Um, obviously I focused more on dirt track and it was because of what I grew up on. Um, but yeah, road racing was hard. Um, I think our best finish was like an eighth at VIR in the Formula Extreme class. Um, I was running up all the way up to fifth, but my shifter broke like five to go. So running around with half a shifter was pretty rough. But um, let's talk about some of the guys in that class, though. Like I know that those classes were stacked, so it was probably oh, there like was Miguel Duham. Yeah, no, there was Miguel Duham. There was Jake Zemke. There was um. Josh Hayes, there was Roger Hayden. I mean, there was a lot of fast guys in there. So to be when I was running fifth before the shifter broke, I was the I think I still might have ended up being, but I was the highest privateer, which was kind of a cool feature. Yeah. Because not very many privateers get to run right with the factory guys on their bikes because their equipment is so much better. I did get the opportunity to ride Miguel's bike from the year before at Mid Ohio. And that was um, that was quite an experience. Their bikes over my bikes were completely different. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a different, different animal. It, it's like, it's like when I wrote, uh, I wrote Brian Smith's Crosley, uh, Kawasaki at Springfield the one year for like a test for like cycle world. And I hopped off my Cali and I rode his Cali and it was like, it was cool to ride the bike. I'm thankful for it. But I was like, man, this sucks. Like <laughs> I, I don't want to <laughs> ride anything else ever again. It's like, right. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was weird, you know, on on your bike, you know, you grab a gear for between fourth and fifth, and it you could feel it just shift. Well, on the Honda bikes, and you grab between fourth and fifth, I think you lift the front wheel off the ground. So that was kind of a different, different animal in itself. Yeah. What was your um, you know, your relationship like with like growing up in Michigan? You like you mentioned, you have Parker and Springer, and um, man, just I mean, there's so many, you know, Atherton, so many legendary guys like what was your relationship like with Springer and with Parker like did you know them guys well did you hang out I mean um how was that I mean that's really that's a lot of like every young dirt tracker's dream is you know getting to hang out with Scott Parker and Springer and you guys saw each other all the time yeah it's um it was quite a unique experience you know Jay has been a family friend for longer than I've been alive so um it it was kind of like a natural thing for me um, every year on New Year's Day, we used to go out to Jay Springsteen's house and everybody rode on the lake on New Year's Day at Springer's house. That was like a big party. So Scotty, Jay, Kevin would show up with his XR. I mean, it was just a fun experience. And that's an experience where I've started out, you know, I could barely touch the foot pegs. I was riding a 60 or an 80 and someone goes, here, here's my 500, go for a ride, you know? <laughs> It, it it was kind of them experiences where, hey, look, I'm, you know, they're not, I'm not terrible slow. I could almost keep up with them on my 80. So put me on a bigger bike and see what I could do. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of my winter experience with them guys. You know, I always end up riding something that I shouldn't ride or was too big for me when I was young. And that was always um, a memorable experience for me. And me and Jay, I mean, Jay is, we hunted together since I was 14 to I was 18. So not only do I know Jay as a friend, but we're also, we were hunting buddies. We were, you know, we just do a lot of the same things. And up here, I don't know how it is out in PA, but I know like up here that, you know, Springer used to get help from my grandpa. So Scotty used to get help from my grandpa, Randy Goss, all them guys. So for me, I have a unique feeling, I guess, is because, yes, they are all, everyone wishes they could hang with them. But for me, it was just go yeah, and hang so, out with your buddies. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that makes sense. Like once you're, I mean, I have my, I have a son and he's, he's five years old and he races and he's been around bikes his whole life. He's sort of like, he doesn't take it for granted. Cause I don't think he understands it. He's only five years old, but he doesn't get like starstruck going to races or seeing, you know, being around whoever, like, it's just kind of what he, he knows. It's like what he's grown yeah, It's into. what he's used to. Yeah. You know? So something that's, that's similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of like it was with you and your dad, Corey. Um, Cause everyone knew your dad at the track. So when you came after a while, you just got to be, I, I guess it's like going racing every weekend, you know, you get to the point to where, you look at them as your friend, not who they are. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you they're your heroes, but you, it's like somebody that you can go up and hang with and just uh, have yeah, a conversation or go hunting I with. Like I you know said. one of the one of the big things that helped me, and I'm thankful for this every single you know when I think about it, is Chris Carr. You know, that guy is a legend, and to be struggling in Daytona and be able to go up to Chris and ask him some questions. And him just wanting to see me at the end was kind of a cool feature that he was willing to help me and willing to, you know, stick his neck out because you know how it is. Most guys don't want to help you with their tricks and trades and how they are faster because they're always wanting to win. They're not right. wanting to promote their competition to a better level. Yeah, and I actually have down here, uh, I wanted to talk about the, uh, Chris and Tolbert and them here, but before we get to that, I, um, one race that stands out for me, um, I think it was your first podium, I could be wrong, but Joliet, you got second. Um, it that was, uh, was actually, that was my first race ever as an expert on a Harley. Oh, no was, shit. It was okay. an outer provisional. I rode Delmar, the, or not Delmar, DeCoin. Um, the following fall on a provisional and got 13th and went to Daytona and you know how Volusia is. I didn't do all that great on my Harley. I was kind of like, man, it's going to be a long year when we leave here. And we showed up at Joliet and car tracks were not my thing. And it just worked. You know, I was comfortable. I was fast. Um, you know, what helped me out is Chris Carr. Again, because, you know, I got off like 6th or 7th, and Chris was right in front of me, and I just figured, well, if I can keep Chris Carr on my sights for 25 laps, I got to be doing something right. Hey, you know, he knows how to set the race. <laughs> if he knows how to set the race pace and how to get to the front, so if I can just follow him to the front, yeah, it'll make it work. And which made it really cool is my number back then was 69X, and it was Chris's 69th win. Oh wow! That's so it really was cool. it, it was kind of a unique thing. I figured if I can get second to Chris Carr on his 69th win, that's pretty much like a win. Yeah, that's badass. So he did, did he win that race? I don't even remember who won. I just remember yes, he, got he won. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Chris. Right. Uh, we chased down um, Brian Smith with a couple laps to go, and Chris got by him about two corners before I did. Oh, okay. So when, by the time I caught him, it was it was too much. When we were by, and I got by Brian, the race was over at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that I, was my first experience at, you know, riding a Harley for 25 laps. I had no idea what I was in for on a car track, especially because, I mean, the mile, at least you get a break down the straightaways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was, I don't know why I remember it, like, very, like, you got, you rode the bottom too, right? Like, isn't that your I passing, rode the very, the I rode the very bottom. I don't know how it worked. It, it was like a gift from the gods. The track was perfect <laughs> condition. And because I really was not a fan of car tracks. Um, I struggled on it my whole life. You know, we never, as Michigan riders, we never got to ride them consistently like you guys do out east. We yeah. had cushions. So the Greenvilles and the Lima and them races to me stood out on the schedule. Like, these are my best opportunities to do good. So it was yeah. very shocking to have my best finish ever on a car track. Well, back then too, there was a lot more cushions on the schedule. I mean, right now, pretty much all we have is Lima, which it's, it sucks, man. Like, I mean, I, I've grown to really like cushions and the fact that you don't cushions, like you're not overly stressed about the start. Like obviously getting a start is important, but 
you're not waiting to pass people like on a cushion. If you're, if you hold it on longer, get on the gas sooner, you're going to get around people. And I just love that. It kind of takes the stress out of like the lining up, the starting where on a clay track, there's some tracks we go to now, especially it's like, dude, all I'm thinking about all day is getting good starts. Like once yeah, I get, a good, get start, a good start, yeah. it's over nowadays. Yeah. And that's like, that's why I love, you know, I miss, miss having more cushion tracks on the schedule, but um so yeah i mean you 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 had some really good results um throughout your career and then i wanted to talk about the uh the years you rode for car or the year you rode for car and tolbert um which is you know it's it's really cool um that dynamic that i don't think a lot of people know or remember too well but kenny tolbert picked you up as you know and chris as basically like their second rider um I don't remember Tolbert ever having two riders really besides that. I mean, he pretty much only focused on Chris Carr and then he only focused on Jared Meese. Like he never really had a second guy. So for them to see, see your potential and bring you on board as like essentially his teammate, like you rode, you rode the same kind of motorcycles. And then I remember it was, you know, it was that year, and then you had a really good result at um, at Springfield, and um, maybe we'll talk about the your your injury a little bit, but um, but yeah, talk about getting picked up by by Tolbert. I mean, that's, that's it was incredible. kind of a it was kind of a cool thing, you know. It's something we had been talking about, and Kenny and them guys have always stayed with my dad when they come back up here for you know if there was a Michigan race instead of driving all the way back to Texas, they would just come work at our shop and vice versa. So, it, you know, when the opportunity came to, hey, this is a possibility and this is what they wanted to do, um, I was thankful. I was blessed. Um, it was kind of a, a dream come true, you know. You got the champ wanting you to ride with him to train you and to work with you to make to become the next him which is kind of a cool experience. We got to go down to Waco, Texas. I did a lot of testing down there um, with Chris, and they spent an extra day just teaching me how to do a whole shot on my Harley because my starts were so bad. And it's that kind of dedication and stuff that I am very grateful for, and that memories are never, never, you know, never gone from me. They're still things I'm very grateful for that I had the opportunity to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, obviously it's something that uh, you probably don't like to think about or bring up, but a lot of our listeners, um, they might not know your background. It's actually crazy to me. I was, I was talking with, uh, we're a bunch of the kids that race now. I mean, dude, there's kids that race AFT now that like, I don't even know who they are. <laughs> like there's so many young kids that come in every year and, and they don't know who like Mike Hacker is, or they don't know who Nick Cummings is or whatever. So it's cool to have this podcast to go back and, and just kind of like, let them, let them know. It's like, dude, these guys were, <laughs> they were insanely good riders. Um, but yeah, to bring up kind of like the injury, obviously that was obviously a, a, a really, really tough point in your life. And the way you've kind of, come back and and we'll talk about what you you know what you've done after that but obviously that was that was uh, man i mean for people that that don't know that was that was a really really bad crash and the way you've kind of rebounded man i mean it's 
it's really, really cool to see. And um, I know it's been tough to kind of put the racing behind, but you've managed to kind of move on and have a really good life with your family. And yeah, I just like that whole deal was, uh, that was really tough. And it was, cause that was the same year, right? That you rode for Tolbert. Yes. That, yeah. Yep. That was actually right after Springfield. The next race after Springfield was the race I got hurt at. So yeah. I unfortunately only got the race for them for three races because life happens. <laughs> yeah. I hear you, man. And that's like, for me as a fan of the sport, it's like, it, I feel cheated because it would have been really cool to see like a full year with those guys. Cause man, you're really like, you looked so good on that bike and so comfortable and having car and Tolbert, but I mean, it's the what ifs and, and everything. I mean, everybody has the what ifs and you know, it's everything happens for a reason. And, um, yeah, it's just for me as a fan though, I just like, it would have been like, man, like Nick Cummings on the car bike, like, you know, what, what that would have looked like the landscape, but, um, for what it was worth, man, you looked really good on that bike and, um, talking with Mies a little bit as well. He said, you're still the fastest cushion guy he's ever raced for like, like five laps. Like, um, like your raw speed on a cushion, he said is the best he's ever seen. Well, I appreciate that from Jared. You know, he's, um, he's won a lot of championships and he's won a lot of races. He's the man who knows how to get to the front. So for him to say that about me is, um, it's humbling. You know, um, after I got hurt, I did a little bit, you know, I didn't took a couple years off and then I went to the lake for the first time. And, uh, when I did ride, Jared was a guy I rode with, you know, surprisingly him and Craig Pickett were out just doing laps and I was on a buddy's bike and I think I hung about the same distance behind him for almost 15 straight laps right after I got hurt a year and a half. So that was um, a nice feeling, and you know, things with Jared. We were we were stiff competitors, and we were rivals for the most part. But there is that friendship and that camaraderie and respect, Corey. You know how that goes. If a guy's fast, the guy's fast. You could you can't no matter what he does on the motorcycle, you can't never take that away from him. Yeah, and Jared and Jared is that guy. Yeah, I think as you get older, everybody kind of matures a little bit and you kind of see perspective. Like there's a lot of guys who I didn't like as an amateur and and now I'm able to kind of, yeah, chat with them and, you know, kind of appreciate one another. And you I, know, don't, and I don't know if it's, I'd ever liked Jared. We didn't, I didn't, you know, like Jared. He was just my biggest competitor. So when I seen Jared, it was always going to be a rough race weekend for me. It was always going to be, you know, my biggest thing with Jared was he was always so fast on the short tracks and on the car tracks that it frustrated me because we go to the Amish Nationals and we'd have three days of racing grooves and car tracks and then you get the one cushion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we always had those, those, uh, cushion kids at, cause the Amateur Nationals, there was always the cushion half mile. It was never like a clay half mile. It was always a cushion. And then you had the short track TT or whatever. Um, and you always had the cushion, like the cushion kid in the class. Like for me, it was, uh, I'm trying to think like Ricky Marshall, my first year. I mean, he was pretty much good on everything, but Ricky Marshall. And then you had like, there was a kid named Ricky Boley from Ohio that like Shana yep. raced with. And yep. um, there was like a Tyler Pittman uh, that raced cushions. So growing up when I, we were kids, we went to Ohio a lot. Um, more than you would think, because all the good cushions were in Ohio, along with all the good cushion riders. 
So, yeah, I mean, Ohio has its own crop of cushion riders that are just as good as we ever were. You know, yeah. you can't take nothing away from them. Um, and that was a unique thing, too, you know. That you yeah. have the Steven Vanekers from Michigan that were decent on the cushions. But then you go, like you said, you got Ricky Marshall and them guys from Ohio that were just yeah, like, man, no matter where we go, we never didn't have competition, which was, I guess, always a good thing. And well, then you racer, had the guys from Canada too, right? I mean, they they were near yeah, Michigan. Yeah, so you know, then we have the Canada guys. We got the Dougie Lawrence's who raced with us half the summer. We'd see Dougie and his mom and dad. Yeah. Um, they'd be down here racing with us on the TTs, on the cushions. They come down to Crosswell and look at them all the time. Yeah. Um, through the Port Huron X or Port, I'm guessing. So it was um it was a unique thing, you know. It was it was fun. Yeah, it was definitely a good era to be be a racer for sure. For sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was a really fun era. Um, and I don't know if you know it. Um, I actually never brought it up. It's obviously something that we don't talk about much. I mean, racers like to forget these things. But after your incident in Dayton, um, my dad actually had a heart attack that same day. And I don't know if you know, but like we were at the, I mean, we were at the hospital with you, like right after your yeah. injury. Yeah, yeah. Like, I do know that, and you know, um, which sucked because I was more worried about, like, yeah, like you know, when I woke up and finally I got to wake up from my coma, that they're like you're done racing. I'm like, that's okay. I get to watch my kids grow up. You know, oh, I'm still yeah. here. Yeah. And that, and that, I think for me it was the biggest thing is like I had just had one of my daughters. The other one was on her way. Like I'm still alive. I'm still here. I made it. That perspective you know, is I, uh is beautiful, honestly, because a lot of guys would be they'd only be stressed about getting back on the bike. And for you, it was like, man, like, you know, I, I have another shot to enjoy life. But um yeah, I mean, just being there, I'm it was really obviously was, I'm sure that was rough for you guys as well, because your dad had a heart attack. Did he have it before or after I got hurt, Corey? Man, I don't even remember. remember? I, I wanna say I I want to say it was after because I I kind of yeah. remember the crash. I didn't see it, but I remember being there. And then he had a heart attack at the track. Um, but what I was like, I wanted to kind of bring up, man, like being at the hospital for two, three days. I mean, yeah, it fucking sucked, dude. Like you had your injury. My dad was, you know, he had a heart attack. He had to get life flighted to a back home to have surgery. Um, but the time I got to spend with your dad, Tom, man, um, I always knew Tom and uh had a lot of respect for him but i didn't know him well but obviously over the course of those two three days i got to really like we got to really hang out with tom because it was just you know two families at the hospital and uh i got to really spend a lot of time around your dad and dude anytime after that i'd always text him and we'd stay in touch and uh just yeah i i do appreciate like if anything good came out of that um just learn getting to know your dad better through that terrible experience uh yeah a lot of respect for your dad and definitely like reminded me a lot of my dad so like having him there it actually helped a lot with what we were going through as well and uh yeah i just wanted to bring that up i didn't know if you knew that but uh got to spend like you know multiple days just all day hanging out with your family and um yeah your dad when, is uh when i got hurt Corey, and your dad had a heart attack were you guys in your race truck at the fairgrounds as well like my dad was yeah, yeah, we had our rig there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it, you know how it is. It's the race community. Yeah, 
which that was, um, you know, probably the biggest blessing in disguise was how close we were to the hospital. Oh yeah, it was right across the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I was, uh, yeah, definitely miss your dad, dude. I was sorry to hear. Uh, when did he pass away? It was two, like two, three years, two years ago. Years ago. Yep. Two yeah. Years ago. Yeah. What a legend, um, man. Yeah, just uh, a wealth of knowledge, man. If I could, if I could have him, like, just talk with him, you know, do, just yeah, one more time, just you know, I just a lot of these guys, man. It's, it's uh, it's perspective, but yeah, definitely uh your dad was really, really cool guy, man. So, uh, wanted to talk, um, moving on a little bit after your injury, um, you, you were still at the racetrack quite a bit. Like you put some riders on your motorcycles. Uh, you were at Lima. I, I almost rode your bike the one year I, we were trying to, like, you had a bike and I had a ride, but you know, we weren't sure if it was coming or something. And, you know, I was going to hop on one of the bikes at Lima, but, um, you had like Dan Ingram, who's a good friend of mine. That guy's, he's something else. I, I love Ingram. He's funny, but, um, you've had a bunch of guys ride your, uh, not a bunch, but you had a few guys ride your bike afterward. Um, who were some of those riders and, and what was that like? Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a different experience for me. It was like going racing, you know, I couldn't go myself anymore. So that was, no I always stay connected and stayed in the sport. And, you know, we had Dan Ingram. We had, um, I ended up working with a gentleman that bought one of my race bikes, and we had TV Bonzi ride for us. Oh, that's right. Bonzi. Cliff. Yeah, Cliff. Cliff. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about Cliff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've had. Yeah, that was, that was a cool dynamic. I mean, uh, I'm sure it was tough being a racer, like, wanting to especially because i remember seeing it lima and it's like you're probably like this is my track baby so uh yeah i mean we, there were certain places we'd go that, was, that i would struggle more as wanting to just like look i know it. but in the same aspect dad always told me and always taught me that nobody ever rides the same nobody's setup is ever the same so being able to understand what the bike is gonna do when you make a change really helped the fact that I was 23, 24, 25 working with Stevie Bonzi because I knew if I made a change, I knew what that change was going to become, you know, and I, I had a good idea in my head of what it was going to do. And that's one thing I'm blessed about is we never made a change my whole life growing up. Dad didn't explain to me what this change was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you being like having, um, like really good setup knowledge. And that's something a lot of kids don't, they don't have, especially now. Like, I mean, there's kids that come to the track now that don't even know how to take their axle off. It's, I mean, they're like pull the axle out. It's like, I'm not a great mechanic by any means, but I can do the basics. But I remember you always had, had really good, uh, knowledge and man, that's one thing. Like, I wish I sat more in the garage with my dad and, and paid attention, but I was, a you know, entitled kid. And, you know, he's working on bikes. I'm fucking playing video games or whatever. I didn't, uh, I didn't take the time to learn. And now I'm, I find myself on, on YouTube and Google quite a bit trying, <laughs> to, trying to figure out how to do shit. And it's like, I want to learn, but man, I just, I wish I, I wish I would have paid, paid more attention. Um, I paid more attention to that. Do you, uh, do you watch any of it now, man? I mean, I, like I said, I haven't seen you in a while, so I catch it every once in a while, but, um, 
I really haven't got to watch racing like I used to. Um, I always seem to work on a Saturday, so I just life happens, man. You forget about things. You don't forget about it, but there are things that are more important now than racing. Unfortunately, that <clears throat> racing was my life for so long that now I just took time to focus on family and life things. You know, yeah, and yes, I'm still, you know, I still have the ambition and the the curiosity, but yet at the same aspect, I'm okay with it because I'm still here. You know, I'm still breathing. I'm still doing what I want. I still get to go golf when I feel like going golf, and I still get to go hang out at the lake and with my buddies or you know whatever I decide I want to do. I'm still able to do that because I'm still here. So. Yes, I got hurt in 09, but unlike a lot of people I know, I didn't let the injury really get to me. Um, the way I looked at it as, hey, I survived. You know, this sport has killed a lot of people. Yeah. And I was one of the lucky ones that had a major crash, was in a coma, and I still get to go on with life. So for me, I take that as a glass half full, like I'm still here. I still get to do what I want. I get to watch my kids grow up. And that is the biggest motivation to me. Yeah. I love that perspective, man. It's uh, and I know, I mean, I know your outlook has been incredible since that, since that happened, but it's just really cool. Like I said, I haven't, I've been chatted you in a while, so it's cool to get that, get that refresher, man, on, on your outlook. Cause it's, it's something a lot of people can, uh, can be inspired by. Um, have you, when's the last time you were at Lima? Obviously, that's like a close one for you. Have you been there? The oh, last... God. Last time I was at Lima would have been, let's see, I got hurt in nine, probably 12. Well, oh, last shit. time I was there was probably with Cliff and Bonzi. I mean, it's probably it, the last it's, time it's I had to be Lima. at least eight or 10 years since I've seen you there. So yeah, it's been probably close to 12, maybe 13 even. Gotta put on the put on the counter, man. We'd love. I'd love to see you. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I would love to get down to Lima again. I just been so just crazy busy, and it seems like life happens. You know, a lot of things will happen, and then oh, hey, Lima's this Saturday. Well, guess I'm not going. I got to work. <laughs> well, Meese well, listens to uh, so, Meese uh, listens to a lot of the pods, and. Uh, I'm gonna Mish, you need to throw uh coming some tickets, man. We'd love love to see you at the race, dude. It's yeah, I'll um <laughs> I'm gonna try to see if I can get down there this year. If not, next year for sure. Yeah, that'd be um, rad. I do miss it. You know, I do miss being being in being in the thick of it. You know, I miss the you know what I miss the most out of the out of all the racing I've ever did. I miss the camaraderie of the family and I miss strapping your helmet on on a rough day at a cushion and going, well, let's the best man win because now it's a big hole jumping contest and best line wins. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's that's like old school dirt track that uh, that we just don't see as much anymore. So, I mean, it's uh, I would say, you know, obviously you're not having yet the track but you haven't missed a lot of i mean the racing's been great i'm I'm not i mean it's it's just different like you know not as many cushions and not it's just a little bit different than it used to be um there's still some obviously there's there's some incredibly talented riders out there right now but 
it's definitely different. The uh, kind of like the family atmosphere. It's just um, it's a it's a lot more cutthroat and serious now than than it was maybe 10, 15 years ago where everybody was, you know, hanging out afterward or going to the lake on the weekend or whatever. So, um, but no, I, <laughs> it'd be cool to see you, man. It's, it's, it's been, man, it's been a long time since, since I've seen you. So it'd be cool to be cool to catch up. I really don't go to Michigan too much either because um, there's no races any, here. No, no more. there's no races. <laughs> I know like lucky thumb, uh, they have a, they have a track that I want to bring. Uh, I want to bring my little guy to, um, cause it's like a really historic and cool little Lucky, racetrack. Yeah, I cut my teeth at Lucky Thumb. Um, my race dad, for all intents and purposes, John Workin was a club member for years there. So you know, I remember going there on a Friday after work. When he got out of work, we'd go there Friday night, and we'd mow the grass and we'd whack, and that was just part of life for us. You know, and thankfully in 2010, when Curtis Lee rode for me on a 450, um, I have the privilege of being able to go up there and we were, got to use that as kind of a, a staple for what I wanted to do when the, for, the mapping come out. I kind of cut my teeth before the dyno and all that on the track. Like we just messed around with maps and tried to make it work on the right. track how could i change things there because it was it is unique because it is slippery and it is super fast but yet at the same time it is super slippery and it's it was just the easy way for us to go okay well this is the best time you can do today so we're just going to use this for a base and go from there yeah, and I've never yeah. been there. I mean, the only track I think I've ever raced in Michigan, I think, is Lake Odessa. Like, I don't even think I've done – I don't know if I've okay. done any other – maybe Hartford. So, is Hart, Hartford's in Michigan. I think I've done that. I believe so. Um, If you come up to do that with your son, you need to do it on a weekend. Well, they got a short track and a TT now, so it's a doubleheader. But it, when I was a kid, we used to race Croswell short track on Saturday or half-mile Saturday in Lucky Thumb tt on sunday okay so for me it was always a double header but we had to drive now they have a short track and a tt right there which is really cool um they do have lights up so that i do go i've probably been there more in the last few years than anywhere um is that near your it's close to you it's an hour away you know it's hour and 15 minutes and it's it's home well, if you I, know, that's, uh, where, that's if I, where I cut my teeth. And, um, if you come up for sure, Corey, write me, let me know. And I will be there. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll check the schedule and, uh, see if I can find an off weekend. Uh, I have a few off weekends, but not many. It's just, <laughs> it's busy, man. But, uh, yeah, it's how it always goes, man. It's life happens. <laughs> yeah, Especially now sure. you're a dad. Life really going to happen. For sure. Trying to juggle your schedule and his. Yeah. You're going to be busy. What what keeps you busy with your fam is anything your your daughters obviously they're not they're not racing motorcycles or anything but are they they do anything that kind of keeps yeah you I busy got one um not so much on the weekends throughout the week I got one that likes to play volleyball a lot and I have one that likes track so oh, that's cool you know that's kind of a different experience for me and I'm you know I my daughters I think one of them has rode one time ever in their life. Yeah, that's good. Um, They're not, I told, you know, I'm more than happy to show them, but they're not really into it and I'm not going to push them. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I'm gonna let them be their own person. And so that you're, is one you're a volleyball dad, huh? That's that's awesome. Yeah, dude. well, I don't Track get to dad. go as much as I'd like to. I do unfortunately have a full time job, so yeah. I try to go when I can. Yeah. But I try to support and be there whenever I can help them, yes. That's awesome. Yeah, having that racer mentality, it translates over to so many different things in life, man, with work and other sports and being a dad. Like I've, you know, I've learned so much from being a racer that I've been able to use to my advantage in other aspects of life. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, I got one more quick segment here. We do every show, man. And it's, uh, it's called the higher low line. Um, and it's pretty much this or that one or the other, and maybe a brief, a brief reason why you picked that. Um, so, uh, the first one I have for you, what was a cooler accomplishment for you winning the horizon award or winning rookie of the year? Um, I would say probably the horizon award. Okay. Um, I'm the only guy in history. Me and Logan are the only two in history to ever split it. So that's kind of a unique feature. And, um, the year I won the Horizon Award, I almost won the Horizon Award at the Road Race Grand Championships as well. So that year to me kind of stands out. Um, yes, I do have a good finish in my rookie year. Um, at Joliet. However, I did struggle for the most part the rest of that year. I feel like, um, the Horizon Award year was definitely funner for me as an aspect. And the fact that I almost won both of them the same year was a really cool thing. And when I got the Horizon Award, I got the AMA Pro or the AMA Sports Athlete of the Year in 2002 as well when I got out to the award ceremony. So that was kind of um, icing that's on badass. the cake. Yeah, that's a really cool award to win. That's like best athlete in AMA, not just flat track. So that's. I was the best amateur athlete um, in the year 2002. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a cool word to have. Um, who was crazier to hang out with that you remember, Nixon or Springer? Ooh, that's hard to say, but I'm gonna have to say <laughs> Gary Nixon. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was really young when I was around Nixon. We never, I never got to go out and hang with him, but yeah, he's. I know he's he was something. He was fun. <laughs> so yeah, I, I know you did the endurance racing with them, so I had to throw that one in there. Yeah, that was um that was a thing, you know, that when Jay got hurt and broke his back dirt tracking, um I got to go ride his his XR seven fifty road racer um a couple weeks later at Mid Ohio. Um they had called me and asked me if I would fill in for him because he had a broken back at the grand championships. I said, sure. No, at the Armand days, I'm like, sure. No problem. And I tell you what, that was a whole different experience. Um, I had never rode a road race bike like that, nor had I ever rode anything with drum brakes on the front. So that was, um, that was a new experience for me. <laughs> Yeah, those are two two guys that if you're going to be at the track, whether you're winning or losing, you're going to have a good time. So that's that's uh, that's pretty cool. You got to do that. Um, better cushion, Greenville or Lima? Oh, that is a really tough one. Um, I do like Lima because of all the the width of it and the 
prestige in it for how many years it's been racing. But I'm gonna have to say Greenville. Greenville. All right. Um, yeah, I like a... I like the narrow paperclip kind of tracks. I mean, I agree. We go yeah, we go like to Greenville, back. and you know I could be fast three feet off the bottom, where the other guys were fast three feet off the hay bales. Yeah. You know, and I was that was something I always proud of myself on is that Greenville, I could always be a fast if not fast qualify it right around the bottom in the middle at the beginning of the day but by the end of it you were you were picking your lines yeah yeah my uh the, the guy I usually co-host with i don't know if you know robbie bobby but he, he'll be stoked to hear that because he promotes he promotes greenville before lima so that's a that's a good plug for greenville um this one's tough and i don't know your relationship and, and greenville had the coolest trophies Oh, the, you know, the guns. Yeah. The, the shootout, you know. Yeah, I, being sick. from Michigan, I'm a hunter. You know, that's what we do in the winter. We hunt. So for me to get third there and get the musket was kind of cool. But I always wanted – Joe Cobb wanted the year I got third there that I can remember. And uh, he got two muskets and a rifle. I'm like, man, I always want to win that. That's the coolest trophy <laughs> out there. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, this, Like I said, this one, I don't know your relationship with – with the one, but obviously we talked about the other. Um, all-time best tuner in your eyes, Tolbert or Werner? Um, I'm gonna have to say Kenny Tolbert. Yeah. Um, we got to work. Matter of fact, Bill Warner did our road race bikes for the Para Nines Kawasaki's. So I got unfortunately I got to work with both of them. That's cool. Um not in the same aspect as much road racing is dirt tracking, but I did have the privilege to work with both. And for me, Kenny Tolbert was my choice. Yeah. Just for the simple fact is, is it might've been the relationship that Kenny and my dad had all these years, all the years growing up and Kenny staying at the house and, Bill working for the factory back when there was TCR days. Well, it's kind of unique too, man. A Michigan kid growing up, um, you would think like your your mentor would be like, I mean, I know you you and Parker probably have a good relationship, but like you would think that Parker would be your mentor because Chris Carr's not too he's not too well liked in Michigan because of his rivalries with Scotty, but that dynamic is actually really cool now that I think about it. Like a Michigan, one of the Michigan kids who, you know, you know, Nick Cummings and then his mentor is Chris Carr, you know, his, his top mentor is Chris Carr. I think that that dynamic is, uh, it's pretty cool actually. And, and Kenny Tolbert too. He's a, you know, Werner's from where is he? Is he, is he from? Michigan? He's from Wisconsin, Wisconsin, okay, Milwaukee. Yeah, in Milwaukee. Yeah. So no, nah, that's a cool dynamic, man. That's uh, working yeah, with Chris. It was, um, you know, me and Chris were close to the same height as that goes when we yeah. have similar riding styles. So for me, working with Chris and Kenny just worked out better. And I believe that is a lot because me and Chris did have a lot of the same riding styles. We have a lot of the same attributes to where it related from one to the other. Have you talked to Chris lately? I have not gotten a chance to talk to Chris. God, it's been at least six or seven years now, probably. Yeah, he's um, he pretty much does his own thing, just kind of at home and with his family and stuff. I, I mean, I live near him and 
Um, and we talk here, he'll call me every, every once in a while, but I, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't get to talk to Chris or see Chris as much too. He kind of, kind of doing his own thing, but, uh, yeah, I didn't mean to be, didn't know if you guys have you caught up lately or not. So no, I actually, you know, surprisingly, I really don't talk to very many people from the race area anymore. Yeah. Um, kind of, I mean, life happens. I do talk to Jared and Nicole every once in a while when I get to see them, um, I talked to Baker. Brad lives about 20, 30 minutes from me, so I do get to see him every once in a while. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Brad's um, a good guy. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I really don't – life kind of just happened for me since then. Since no, I, got I understand. I mean, I just really yeah. – racing kind of took a backseat from being the top priority of my life to, hey, it's something cool we used to do. Um, It's been – god 13 years now yeah so sometimes you need that break uh, yeah you need that need to get away and do something else so well that wasn't so much of a big issue it was just life happened right (laughs) well the fans that's that's why the fans they've like i said man they've been hit they've been hitting me up they've been wanting you know getting the cummings on what's he been up to so this is well um i'll let them know i'm going to try this year to make it out to lima I will try to make a point to make it down to Lima and maybe even Greenville the night before. That'd because, be you know, Greenville can... is, that is home to me. Greenville and Lima are my closest two races there is for me because they no longer have I-96. Well, uh, I can definitely get you tickets for Greenville. That's Robbie Bobby's my guy. So we'll, we'll definitely get you in Greenville. And I'm sure Meese will, he would love to have you at Lima. Um, I got one more, one more high low line for you, man, and we'll let you go. I really appreciate you taking time to come on. Um, this one's kind of, I don't know what track we're at. Let's just say, uh, I get it, this is going to depend, I guess, on the track kind of track we're at. But if you have to take away, you have to take away one thing. You can you either take away your steel shoe or you take away your rear brake. What do you what are you keeping out of those two? Ooh, it depends on where we're at. If we're at a cushion, <laughs> the rear brake for sure. Throw it right in the garbage can. Um, and you know what? I'll say the same on a car track. Get rid of the rear brakes. Okay. Yeah. You know, I've been at places where you put your foot down and it wants to rip over the over top of your head, and there's places where your foot is the staple of yeah. how you stay on the bike. So, um. I'm gonna, the rear rear, break. I'm gonna that's, say throw the rear brake out and go back to old school dirt track and let's see let's go at it. That's a Nick Cummings answer if I've ever heard one, dude. I love it. <laughs> get rid of the rear brake. <laughs> well, they would get rid of the hot brake issue. There would be no more hot braking. Who's got, you know and that went, for me, like Coolbass the guy that comes to mind for me. That was Mr. Can race with the brakes. <laughs> All night, and let his rotor just glow. And boy, on the right night, Kenny Tolbert or Kenny Coolbath was the hardest man to beat. You know, it could be a foot and a half wide groove, and for 25 laps, he wouldn't move six inches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah, watching watching Kenny, man. It's uh, so there's an art to be able to ride, ride the brakes. Unfortunately, coming from the cushion background, you hit the brakes <laughs> as soon as you got stop you put your foot below the brake lever and use it as a leverage point yeah and it's it's actually it's actually hard to ride the rear brake like that and be and use it efficiently like it's pretty common now honestly like a lot of guys 
more guys are doing it. They're dragging the rear brake through the corner and on the exit. I mean, I do it a little bit, but it's something that I'm not great at, to be honest. I mean, I'd rather, you know, growing up, I've always learned throttle control with the wrist. Right. And you got to get off the brakes. Yeah. Like even Chris Carr working with Chris, he always, you know, I, I asked him, I'm like, Hey man, like when I was younger, um, you know, rear brake, you know, what's, you know, what's, he's like, he's like, I don't do it. He's like, I just, I roll the gas with throttle the throttle. Control. So yeah, right. it's def definitely different riding styles and it's cool to dissect and think about a little bit. So it makes, it makes me wonder these guys who, you know, more props to them that can ride the rear brake. If you learn to ride the rear brake, good for you. But um, it makes you wonder, would the top guys still be the top guys if you took the brakes away? Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh... Would the guys that are fast, that, are, that can ride the rear brakes, be the fast guys even though they don't have any brakes no more? Or do yeah, they rely yeah. on just the rear brakes to keep them in control? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's – yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, I know you see a lot of people, Oh, you know, flat track it's, you know, back in my day we had no rear brakes and shit. Nowadays there's, there's a, a lot of tracks we run on that. I don't even, I don't even know how you could even have to downshift to slow down without a rear brake, but uh, no, that was, that was a good answer. Uh, one follow-up question actually, now that we, we talked about it, but what was your favorite track? Well, I mean, obviously it was probably a cushion, but um, you mentioned mm. you, you like the paperclip cushion, man. And and I'm the same way. Like I Lima for me and no offense to Jared, but it's just like too circular of a cushion. Like I really it's, like to pitch it in and turn it the other way type of thing. So, well, it all depends on how you ride Lima. Um, there's a lot of guys that ride it, you know, go in high and come out low for me. I made Lima, a di Lima, a diamond. I went in and I went as hard as I could, as far as I could in the corner, right on the bottom. And I just burped the throttle up and over the bumps, got up into the cushion, turned it, come back across the bumps and come out on the bottom just as fast as they could run the whole racetrack that way. So I think it just all depends on your style. Um, favorite track of all time. I'm going to have to say the Indianapolis Half Mile. Oh, wow. The half mile at Indy is just, you know, we had amateur nationals there for five straight years. So for me, it was just kind of the staple of the nationals. Um, You know, the half mile on the backside of Springfield is not bad either. No, that's a good one. Them, yeah. them are probably the two best tracks that I would say that we raced that aren't a national. That should be. Because for sure, Indy, because Indy's just inside the mile, but it is so banked and there's so much runoff that I truly believe you guys would have a blast and you put on a good show if the you know you got the big bikes out on the that half mile. Yeah, yeah, I I never got to run it. I'm just like running the Indy Mile. That was my first main event. Actually, was a uh, Indy Mile, the first one I made, and uh, we got. I mean, we pitted like on the like a little bit inside the half mile and we like rode over it. I'm like, Oh, this would be pretty cool to ride, to ride. So it was, um, it was unique. You know, I rode my first 250 framer there. I rode a heart racing frame, uh, 250 of Roger Hayden's actually. And, um, you know, it's, it was just, it's just a different experience. Um, I remember Brian Shirley in the pro sport class. I'm pretty sure that same year, a guy crashed in front of me, hit it and went over the handlebars and was, 
12, 15 feet in the air, still riding the motorcycle. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it is a different experience, but the fact that I liked about it is it was wide, but if you went off the track, it was just, you roll off the track. You didn't fall. Right. You know, I remember getting pushed off coming out of turn two and I ran outside the back straightaway all the way down the back straightaway and jumped back on the banking or back over the banking going in turn three, uh, riding an 80 back in the day. And that was, um, that was kind of a unique experience. Or Sarnia, Canada was probably the funnest non-national I ever rode. BD put it on. Um, and Sarnia. I heard of Sarnia. Yeah. I had to run down Brian Smith, and it was not an easy feat, you know. Um, that was a, a unique half mile to me because a lot like Columbus, where you went in, when you enter turn one, you're on the wrong side of the banking. The track mm. is so wide, the banking starts to go into the corner, and you're still on the outside of it, trying to jump your way into it, which is kind of a unique experience for me. Yeah, I remember watching. I never had uh, to race up and over the crown to get into the corner, and that was um, that was fun. But I would say my favorite national was probably Monticello, New York. Yeah, that place was trick, man. I liked Monticello. Um, it was um, it was unique. You know, and it took it took a special riding style there. I almost got my first win there, which would have been really cool. Was that but, the year um, it grooved up, or did it stay cushioned the whole day? No, it, it ended up grooving up at the end of the race, and uh, later we had a, I got the first hole shot ever on a per se in, in a national, and um, I was about half a shade away ahead the first lap, and they threw the red flag because Jared went off the backside and they thought he crashed, but when he come around, he was mm -hmm. running about halfway. And then, um, I got, you know, I got the lead again until they red flagged it again. And, um, you know, Jared and Coolbath went to a tire for the groove and I had nothing. I had yeah. the, my tire for the cushion. So, um, I was just low, you know, soldiering around from then, but that was probably the coolest cushion we had because it did have different racing opportunities in the same day right it was the same track but you'd race four different tracks throughout the day yeah and it changed around a lot and i was gonna say i remember watching uh a lot of videos uh from uh did they call it sciota uh, is that is that columbus is that sciota down i forget what they yep sour okay. downs was columbus yeah i'd love to i would have loved to ride that too just because it just the technical aspect of uh it's it's turning into a groove you got to figure it out you can ride the cush you can you know i mean like that those tracks i don't know man we need more cushions that's we we, <laughs> we we don't have enough cushions dude it's uh we need more cushions but uh yeah man i like i said i appreciate you coming on it's it's been a long time since we've chatted i'll i'll have to keep in touch with you dude it's uh definitely refreshing to hear hear your voice and uh and chat a little bit and i'm gonna i'll have uh definitely talk to robbie bobby and i'm gonna definitely send you a reminder as we get closer to greenville and lima i want you to come so um, all right sounds good Corey. i'll uh you know i do miss the family and i do miss the camaraderie i miss all you guys you know it's hard to believe that we're the old guys now <laughs> it's no shit <laughs> no shit you know that that makes it a little rough on us but um hey you know what we're still here yeah you know we get we're living to tell our experiences and you know it I kind of feel like it's our responsibility in a way to um to teach the new kids coming up like they did us, you know. 
the spark grows from camaraderie and what the what you put back into it. And um, you know, it's cool to see Jared running his own race now and he's still a big part of the racing scene. So that makes it even better yet because he's still at the top of his game trying to promote our sport. Trying yeah, to get better for cool. people coming up, which that's um my hat's off to him because that is a big accomplishment. No doubt, man. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll uh, we'll stay in touch. I'll I'll hit you up, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you in a few months here, man. It's uh, really cool that you know what what you're doing, and uh, all the best to you and the family, man. And hopefully, we'll see you soon. All right, Corey. See you soon, man. Thanks. All right, Nick. See ya. All right, see ya. Nick Cummings on the pod. Yeah, that was awesome. I uh, just if you haven't watched Cummings growing up riding, that guy could ride a motorcycle. So. To have him on and get some of his thoughts and experiences over the years of of his career, man, that's that was uh it was really cool for me to to have him on. So uh yeah, I want to give a shout out to the sponsors that make the pod happen. I don't want to interrupt uh Nikki with uh with what he was saying to uh shout the sponsors out, but I definitely without these companies, it wouldn't be possible to do this. I want to give a shout out to uh, Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing. Check out their website, yamahamotorsports.com, motorcycle, ATV, side-by-side, snowmobile, and power products. Bell Helmets, check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. I wear the Race Star Flex and the Moto 10. The quality and safety is unmatched. As always, if you start tank slapping, want to be protected by Bell. Moto America, Road Atlanta is April 21st to the 23rd. They're having the Superbike kickoff of the year, Super Sport, Stock 1000, Junior Cup, and then Twins Cup King of the Baggers is coming back for Road Atlanta, April 21st to 23rd. Get your tickets. If you can't be there in person, subscribe to the Moto America Live Plus package. Follow them on social media. I've said it multiple times on these podcasts, but they absolutely crush their social media. They they have more views and engagement than NASCAR. I mean, they're right on par with NASCAR. So, uh, check out Moto America, Dunlop motorcycle tires, 19 inch, 17 inch flat track tires, off-road street, love our relationship with Dunlop, everything they're doing for American flat track or Dunlop, uh, team elite program. They're giving back so much to the sport. If you can support Dunlop motorcycle tires, I'm hoping to be a dealer on Dunlop here in the near future. So if you need tires, flat track tires, hit me up. Cause I'm going to, hopefully, uh, I want to get tires out to the, to the amateur crowd more. So Check out their website, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas. Jerry Stinchfield, my guy, just keeping the sport alive, keeping us going. Commercial and industrial roofing company with nearly 40 years of experience. Check out his website, commercialroofsystems.net. And Manscaped, the code for Manscaped is TankSlap20. You get 20% off and free shipping. State-of-the-art razor, glows in the dark, prevents nicks and tugs manscaped uh it's one of those products you just need to try it to to know and we uh, appreciate manscaped supporting us and they support a lot of other podcasts in the action sports industry as well that's a wrap baby not much else to talk about we got a bunch of pods coming your way interview pods we might do a uh, sonoya preview pod if not this one this one will get out prior to sonoya but excited for that event coming up i've never been to sonoya I'm actually going to race on Friday. I'm pumped. I, I need to ride a motorcycle. So I'm going to ride the uh, the Friday night event before the national. Weather looks a little iffy, but going into Sonoya round three is when we'll really start to see the season kind of kind of um, some more consistency. Like um, Daytona is 
Yeah, it's a crapshoot. I mean, um, we're getting the more of these racetracks that we'll start to see a shakeout of what these motorcycles look like, these new brands, you know, Briar on the KTM and, and Bronson on the KTM and, you know, the, uh, the infields where they're at and the, and the Indian motorcycles and, um, obviously the Yamahas, it'll be a good shakeout to see where, where everybody is after Sonoya. So if you're in Sonoya, come say hi, definitely, uh, definitely like chatting with the fans. I'm not racing now, so it's, <laughs> It's tougher for me. So having the fans come up, I would say I'm, I'm more, um, not that I didn't like chatting with the fans on race day, but I, I appreciate that aspect more now that I'm not racing. Um, just, I have more time and I'm able to kind of chat the fans that come up. So come to the first impressions racing tent, uh, Chad coach, James odd. And, um, yeah, stop and say, hi, not much. Like I said, not much else. Um, we will, come at you here very shortly we have some we have some really good guests on tap make sure you subscribe to the podcast on soundcloud itunes and spotify if you feel like you can leave us a review on itunes or facebook it definitely helps us out a bunch we like to hear the feedback good or bad um we're putting a lot into making this happen we did some interviews at daytona which was really cool. We I had Jen Lewis and Jalen walk around. We interviewed some of the riders. I don't think we have enough media in our sport where you would have never heard those insights from the riders unless, you know, they, you know, Jen and Jalen went out and got those insights from Sammy and Johnny and all those riders. So we're trying to do a little bit more of that. It's it's hard. We it's like we don't have a lot of people. It's a it's a it's kind of a glorified hobby, this podcast, but um, we're thinking of ways to kind of give more media to the fans because we definitely need you know more people uh, doing that sort of thing. So with that being said, a lot of love to everybody that listens, supports us. And until next time, we out.